Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige podcast. Today we're talking about Goodwill Hunting, the 1997 drama that our patron executive producers selected for us. Uh, to to cover today, we're on a, a bit of a Robin Williams kick, it would seem, Jim. Hmm, sure. It's directed by Gus Van Sant, uh, who did Drugstore Cowboy, Milk, as well as Finding Forrester, which I remember the movie being good, but God, mm-hmm. it, how can it be with the meme? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No way. It's been a long time, man. Sean Connery teaching a black kid how to write with a typewriter. That's a story. That's there's no way that can be good. There's no way that holds up. No. Written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, lifelong friends. They met at age eight, grew up together, went through the same schools together, uh, wrote a movie, won some Oscars together here. It stars Robin Williams, the late great. We just saw him in Insomnia. Like I said, we're on a bit of a, a Robin Williams kick. Uh, he's great in this. Matt Damon. We just uh, talked about him in Ocean's Eleven. Ben Affleck. You know, we try to stay away from Ben Affleck. Haven't done that. Not a lot. <laughs> Just people do in general, I think. Not not a lot of Affleck in our catalog. Uh, mm-hmm. Did we even did, did we do Argo? I'm thinking that that might be the only good movie of his so. that we've covered. Well, there you go. That was decent. Stellan Skarsgård's in this movie. Uh, he's a big part of why this season of Andor was kind of amazing. Mini Driver. What a cutie. What a cutie in this film. Uh, I loved her in Gross Point. Gross Point Blank. She uh, was Jane in the animated Tarzan. Uh, mm. starring star, starring Phil Collins and uh, Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck gets a start in this movie. Uh, will later win an Oscar. This bastard uh, for Manchester by the Sea. Um, I've seen this movie a couple of times before. I haven't seen it probably in the last decade, and I remember really, really liking it and uh, admiring it. Um, and this is a pretty well loved film. It's like ninety seven percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Although I do think that as I get older and I look back uh, with perhaps the wisdom of age, um, I I understand why Roger Ebert gave it three stars instead of four. Because I remember back in the day, that was one of the kind of things that stuck in my craw. I was like, come on, Roger, what the fuck? You're not going to give this movie three stars. You're too good to give an Oscar winning thing. You know, it was like, why? Why? I just read his reviews like, why? Why? Like what? Because so I'm curious about what you think of this film. Oh, uh, I like it a lot. Uh, I've only seen it one other time and it was, who boy, decades ago um, when I was closer in age and and mentality to the the goodwill hunting character uh, mm-hmm. than I was to the Robin Williams character. And yeah, as I as I age more into the, the Robin Williams role in this movie, I, I, I don't know. I, I think the movie gets maybe better maybe better i don't know the first time i watched this movie i don't remember being as affected by some of the very powerful scenes of will having like breakthroughs and this time around i was much more affected by it and i i think that just comes down to like having experienced some of the things that he must experience and he doesn't understand them but 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand them back then, but I do now. So I, I think it's just gotten better. But that, that's me. Yeah, there's a there's a whole thing. There's there's a lot of stuff that that I really like um, in this film. And I think the script is pretty good. There's a couple scenes like there's four or five scenes that are really stand out in dialogue and they express yeah. something that feels real. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're they're extremely well performed. I think uh, honestly, Ben Affleck, if I can walk back <laughs> some of my shit talking about him, uh, I think he's 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 good. Like, I, I see why people can hate him because there's a couple smirks he gives that are oh, like of he looks like a shit yeah. in this movie. They're like 50 megaton warhead smirks that just want you. You just want to grab a pipe and beat every tooth out of his face. Mm-hmm. Um but he's really good. That scene where he shows up for Will towards the end of the movie and he goes through like a whole range of uh, emotions like, you know, it's a it's a long scene where he carries just with physicality. Uh, and I also admired as I because I, you know, I know where this is going and I'm looking for I'm looking at his reactions to Will throughout this movie. Yeah. And they're really subtle and they really support the rest of the writing and performance. Um, but I do think that the big flaw of this movie is that to get young men writing it uh because i don't i i know there is uh there's a theory that uh was it uh who was it uh goldstein william goldstein yeah william goldstein uh ghost wrote this movie and mm-hmm. he's kind of like leaned in that leaned out of that rumor depending on you know the interview and sometimes even in the same interview he flips back and forth i don't buy it for this reason this script feels like guys who had cobbled together this stuff from like 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 will himself you know robin actually said it points this out uh they cobbled this stuff together from things they'd read and from songs mm. they've heard but mm. they don't have any, they didn't have a real personal experience with and some of it i think that they did like i i guess i read that ben's uh, father's an alcoholic so i think that a lot of that stuff rang okay. true yeah, but some yeah. of the relational aspirational stuff is like I, I I don't think it comes from a real place of lived experience. It comes from a place of kind of like imitation, which is great. And and honestly, it's it's super smart for that place in their life. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. not quite there. Like it, if they'd write this, if they wrote this movie in their in their, you know, right now, it would probably be a four star movie. But it is it. There's a little bit of lack of polish. But I, I think that's also charming, too. Well, and to go kind of in the other direction with it, too, this is one of those just so movies where everything is very obviously scripted out and you can see where the callbacks are going to be before they even happen. And then, of course, they happen, uh, you know, right up to the final scene. So, like, yeah, it it feels a little bit artificial in those moments when you're realizing when you're seeing the mechanics of the movie. And, and that's yeah. a lot of what I was seeing here. But those performances and I, I want to say, like Robin Williams, going back and exploring some of his catalog uh, has very quickly become like super impressive to me. He won an Oscar for this movie for his supporting role. Uh, and I think it's well deserved. He is. And it's so different. We just watched Insomnia where he plays like a guy where where his, you know, manic Robin Williams energy is kind of bubbling just under the surface. Yeah. I don't feel that in this movie. He Dude. He's able to entirely ditch that and bring something completely different and very powerful to the role and something that was necessary, I think. So you, I, you're I'm right. super impressed with Robin Williams nowadays. 
Yeah, the way you described it, like the insomnia that the the Rod, the the Robin Williams mania was bubbling underneath that character. This it feels like a tide that has just receded. Yeah, you know, like there's a yeah. there was a tsunami inside Robin Williams. It pulled all the zany back. Uh-huh. And he's but kind it's of about there's to like bust into Patch Adams or something. I don't know. Well, <laughs> no, there's like you movie. can like like you, this feels like um a a real life three dimensional colorful character who's had the life drain like the color yeah. drained out of him. And you get that because like I, I don't know if we subconsciously bring it because like we expect Robin Williams to be big and we're expecting him to have like the big funny moment and it never right. comes. But like it's hinting like, you know, the because, man, there's a lot of like love stories in here. It, mm-hmm. It's not just Mini Driver and Matt Damon. Uh, there's also Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, but there's also mm-hmm. Stellan Skarsgård, Robin Williams. And you can start to see yeah. the Robin Williams we know peek out underneath those clouds at the end because he's, you know, that's another elegant structure of the movie. He's healing himself and his relationship with his friend as he's also healing this kid from Boston. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Robin Williams is is really, really good. And uh, everything he does uh, services the plot so well, you know, because mm-hmm. like, again, we're taking in all the stuff we know about him and and he's defying our expectations. Yeah, uh, but if, I don't know if, if I had a complaint with the movie, I'd say it's probably a little too rote, a, a little too just especially so. in the first act, like some of the stuff like because okay. this is essentially yeah. a nerd's version of Arn- an Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Uh huh. Yep. Like Arnold it comes in, out the like bulging go, brain on him. Yeah, I'm going to kick your ass and humiliate you. And there's nothing you can do about it physically. Like Matt Damon is like that with his brain. Yeah, he just like there's like, you know, uh, <laughs> essentially Bennett, Bennett from Commando gets up and tries to humiliate Ben <laughs> Affleck in a bar in front of Mini Driver. And he fucking there's the the the, the armoring scene from Commando only in Ben Affleck's mm-hmm. brain. And he comes and he. And he, then he uh, electrocutes him and puts a pipe through his chest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Philosophically, uh, through, through the lens, through the lens of 17th century American capitalism. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, 16th century, I guess. No, I. It, but, but that's the stuff that feels like the most like, oh, you constructed this guy to be a straw dummy for Ben, for 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 Matt Damon to destroy. You sure. constructed this scene, you know, these therapists as these. uh uh, kind of like um, very stereotypical and, um, you know, bullshit versions of therapists for Ben at, for for Matt Damon to outsmart and destroy you, you know, so, some of some of that stuff right. you, you did. Yeah, it's, it's you can you can smell the set paint, you know, like it's it's really fresh on that stuff. And it's funny because like the scene that I remembered from this movie, having not seen it in maybe almost 20 years is sure. that scene where he demolishes this smart uh Harvard kid in the bar the the how about them apples thing that's what i remembered from this movie it, that's not the standout scene for me anymore i mean it's it's right it, it's kind of a cheesy scene at some point it but- is but but the ones I remember now are like the it's not your fault scene, right? The the the, the strong like yeah. emotional Im- core of this movie that is way better than you know some of the flashier things it's doing. Yeah, no, I um, and I it's because you know as a young man that's like your fantasy, like on like on, right. honestly a, right. a lot of uh, if you're not you know as a young man, I know I'm not a stereotype. All of us, some of you guys are are clearly more elevated beings than us, but like our minds revolve around sex and whatnot. Sex is mostly domination. Like, oh my god, wouldn't <laughs> okay. it be cool to just fucking flex on the whole world? And Matt Damon kind of does that, and not a, and the thing. This is yeah. where he's like he's a little bit of a Gary Stu. 
which oh, is the male yes. version of a Mary Sue, because he doesn't even have like he's not even frail. Like uh-huh. he backs this ponytail wearing fuck the off mm-hmm. mentally. And then when the guy feels a certain way about it, he steps to him physically and is like, I can also, you know, split your ass in half that way. So it's like there's yeah. he has no weaknesses that but the film gets much stronger as they start showing, you know, what a flawed, tragic character he is. But, yeah, that first mm-hmm. the first act is kind of rough. And it, you got it exactly right. Like all the things I thought were awesome about it. <laughs> it's more it's now. It's like, oh, God, that's kind of cringe. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I, I especially as a father, as a, te- of a teenager, like. <laughs> I feel like I have Stellan Skarsgård and Robin Williams having that argument in their office in my head all the time. Uh-huh. Like, yep. you can't crush the boy with expectations, Aaron, but how will he learn <laughs> to be a man if you don't? Well, did that work for you? I don't fucking know. I'm making this. Sh-. So, like, I, I really, I really appreciate. Yeah, like that stuff, like really. I wasn't even on my radar. It was just like watching guys, the old men yelling at the sky when, when right, I was like 25. Right. But like, I feel all that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really appreciate it a lot more. Uh, do we do we have, is there any like um, opening shots? We Any more opening shots or we should get into the kind of spoiler section? Yeah, I think we should tell people what it's about and, and do some spoilers. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, back with more Bald Move. Yeah, if you don't know, Goodwill Hunting is about Matt Damon. He is a Southie. He's from an underprivileged situation in Boston. He grew up an orphan. He's been in and out of bad foster situations. He's best friends with Ben Affleck. And he hangs around with a bunch of self-described losers that do blue-collar work and heavy drinking and shitting on rich kids. And uh, he gets in a fight. He gets arrested. And a professor, he's also a god damn it. He's also janitor at Harvard, and he has been secretly solving advanced math equations left on the chalkboard at night. And the day that the professor discovers it's him, he gets arrested and this professor intervenes and he agrees to go into a program where he is mentored by the professor and seeks therapy for his anger issues and abandonment issues. Uh, and if he does that, they'll defer his prison sentence. Um. Will will be able to overcome his tragic background, his vast oceans of trauma within and learn to connect to other human beings? Or will he shove every positive influence out of his life for the rest of his life uh, until Ben Affleck apparently will beat him to death sometime in his mid 40s? <laughs> right. uh, that's the stakes. <laughs> that's. That's the stakes. That's the stakes of this movie. Don't expect an answer to that question either, because the movie here's the one other complaint I have is the movie stops right when things are getting important for Will. Uh, Isn't that good though? Like it is. It's a hundred percent the way you do this movie, but if you're looking at a real person's life, this movie is kind of done with it when the hard part begins, I guess. Mm. True. So like, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if it answers the questions you asked. 
because like, yeah, a couple rounds of tough therapy with Robin Williams is awesome as that does sound. Uh, and having a peaks and valleys, man. But like, yeah, peaks and valleys. Yeah. But you know what? If you want to see the rest of his story, watch BoJack Horseman. Okay. All right. <laughs> pretend, pretend Ben Affleck is a horse and he uh-huh. moves to California to be with Minnie Driver. And uh, that relationship flames out because, of course, it does. And he gets into Hollywood and, oh, my God, there's drugs, and there's alcohol, and there's severe de- crippling depression and neurosis. And, yeah, watch BoJack Horseman. That's that's the rest of the story. If you want to see the realistic uh, mental health journey there. I watch all but, Ben uh, Affleck movies pretending he's a horse. Is that not a normal thing? <laughs> is it? Is that the animal that I see Ben Affleck? What is what is Ben? Yeah. He's like more of a weasel, right? It's a bit of a weasel, but he's got that long face, especially with his haircut or he just kind of stacks hair on top of his head. I feel like it elongates his face yeah. in a way that is unflattering. Yeah, it's like it's like the crew cut version of a flock of seagulls. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like if the military approved flock of seagulls as a as a haircut, this is what it would look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, good lord, we're just just bagging the fuck on Ben Affleck here. <laughs> uh, that's all right. It's like it's like he's gonna listen to his podcast. It's gonna be the smoking yeah. on his front steps meme. Like oh god, yo, oh, oh, he's <laughs> up and cause he's uh amateur podcasters uh, talking about Goodwill Hunting. I wonder what they thought. Oh shit. Um, <laughs> I hope what, he has uh, better things to do at this time. The, the other thing about uh, I want to talk about some some other things I found uh, funny about the film. I were talking about why we're bagging on things. What the fuck is with the math ma- mathematicians in this movie? They are like either rock stars on par with Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Like they're fucking all the bitches. They're, you know, wearing cashmere. I mean, like, you know, Skellen, Stellan Skarsgård acts like he is Prince in this movie yeah and then the other the, so you're either that or you're ben affleck or not my ben affleck you're matt damon or you are apparently an emotionally fragile wreck that if some kid solves your math equation you've been working on it for years instead of being elated that like the state of math has moved forward you just you just like it's a crippling thing that's i, I don't know it's like it's i feel like this seems like a very dumb person's idea of what mathematicians are like. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, I don't really know. I don't know a lot of high level mathematicians, but sure. Did, did Matt Damon, film student at Harvard, get bullied by the Harvard math department? Maybe. The click and clack hurt him. I I, I, I want to know. Maybe he had. I don't know. Maybe he had that bar experience, except with math. Maybe he yeah. was the guy was trying to you know flex his brain on the kid and the kid just put him in his place said oh yeah can you solve pythagorean theorem <laughs> and he was like shit i haven't read that yet i think one of the the one of the things i initially appreciate about this movie is it explores all the various ways people can be strong you know because i feel like uh, okay. especially for yeah. men we prize like physical strength and uh bravado um, we definitely prize like STEM type applied science, knowledge, intellect, that kind of thing. Um, not so much emotional intelligence. And that shows like that's the that's the the kryptonite for this character is that uh, he's very physically strong. He's very physically tough. He's mentally strong. He's mentally tough. But emotionally, he has no foundation and he's just twisting in the wind uh, to the extent that like if he gets a situation where he starts to feel genuine love, it burns him like sunlight burns an orc 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, his, yeah. his they they come out and they say it in this movie. He's got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what the exact term is, but basically trust issues. Um, and it makes a lot of sense given his background. You know, I, I bet he views acknowledging emotion as a weakness and he uses that both as a weapon against other people and a shield for himself. And I think that is what Robin Williams in this movie has to break through is this idea that like he can be vulnerable, he can be weak. And that's one of the first things that, that, uh, I, I can't even think of. Is it Sean? Is that Robin Williams name in this? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the first things that Sean says to him, uh, is that, yeah, I, you've, you've never experienced these things. You've never stood in front of someone completely vulnerable. Right. Right. And yeah, that's his kind of his worst fear. Yeah, that's the other thing. I, I, the other thing I appreciate about this is Robin Williams therapist character learn, goes through some personal growth here as well, because I got the opinion that he, and this is a very typical male reaction to experiencing loss and grief is he just very much withdrew. Um, Mm -hmm. And he stopped, you know, like, uh, and because of other, like they, they imply that he was in Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of like pursuing a brilliant career in psychology or whatever, he essentially dropped out of that to do grief counseling for soldiers and to be a good husband to his wife and to teach board psychology students in this community, Boston Community College. And the other like characters kind of looked at him as a failure. And I is like, but you feel like that he kind of soldiered on. He didn't mind that. But then when his, he lost his wife suddenly his his colleagues didn't know really what to do or say and then and suddenly he felt like you know maybe deep down and like like some of the that the, the, he felt like i don't know that he had some regrets or he had some failures or and and he didn't know how to how how to like express that and by mm-hmm. the end of the movie you can kind of see that rift starting to heal and it's because I think some of that stuff that Will said to him about like, oh, you had a winning hand and you cash in your chips and you just walk away from the table after you crap out once like that kind of hit home. Maybe you'll never find the love of his life again, but maybe he can reach out and start, you know, having a bigger life than just his classroom and his sad apartment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you want for him during this movie. I think Um, it's probably what his wife would have wanted for him. Also, Uh, you have to imagine uh, once she's yeah. gone, but I, I like how like the 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 way that he like relates to himself kind of evolves over the course of this movie, because um, he he tells Stellan Skarsgård at one point like the, all these things that I did were a conscious choice. It wasn't like I I flamed yes. out and I fucked up and I I'm stuck in this terrible life that I hate now, right? And, and I think that's true to a certain point. But there is a part of him also that has not been a choice that he's not been acknowledging, which is the part where you said he withdrew. Like, I I believe that he wanted to go help all these veterans, that he wanted to teach this community college. That's a conscious choice. The conscious part, though, ends where he is not living a life outside of that. Yeah. And for similar reasons to Will, because like he felt like the way Will was trapped in Boston because he felt loyal, a misguided sense of loyalty to his friends felt like if I get out if i escape this if i exceed them if i do better than them then that's not honoring our friendship and our our loyalty and and our memories of each other and i feel like robin williams felt the same way about his wife it's like this is my love of my life 
yeah. and the light of my life and that's gone out and I'm just going to live in darkness now because obviously it's the light of my life. It went out. Um, and like if what if I do move on and maybe, mm. and again, maybe not in feet, but like what if I just move on with my life and, you know, try to go back to counseling and the uh, uh, soldiers and reconnect with my friends like is if, if I move on and I get new light. Is that disrespecting my wife? That's something that he's genuinely bad in the middle of a battle with at the beginning of this movie. Mm -hmm. And is fascinating kind of watching him work through that through the lens of helping Will. Yeah. What what do you make of the painting that he painted? Because I have some ideas on what I think this painting is is more about. Um, Will kind of identifies it as like a man who's thrashing around and struggling in a situation he can't control. Um, and I see that element of it, but I also see a man who is like paddling into a situation he understands is, is chaotic and hard and, and dangerous, yeah. but it is paddling that, into it nonetheless. Reminds me of that Churchill quote. Like if you are stuck in, or if, uh, if you're, if, if, if you're walking through hell, keep going or if you're, no, if you're going through hell, keep going. Okay. Because like, yeah. you know, like the, the Will sees this as a man floundering on the sea where it's also a man who's just still rowing despite everything. He's still mm -hmm. trying to make that forward. He's still still trying. Yeah. And he completely misidentifies the situation, right? He's like, oh, yeah, your wife left you. You're a failure. All, all these things. It's like, no, right. none of that is true. But right. Sure, kid. But that's the defense mechanism. Like he tries to push uh -huh. everyone away Uh except for Ben Affleck, who weirdly enough pushes him away. But like <laughs> yeah. it's um, it was really like there was a couple scenes where uh, that that one scene where he just kind of like violently pushes Minnie Driver away from his life where she says, well, tell me you don't love me and, you know, I'll be out of your life forever. And he like hits her with that and she's devastated. Mm -hmm. That was genuinely painful to watch. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. This, and you understand why, you because, know, it's like. True. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my God, what if I move to California? What if I leave? You know, what if I, you know, I'm going to this. I got, I got this one faulty assumption that I'm doing this to honor my friends. Mm -hmm. And I got another faulty assumption, which is I can never work out. If this girl truly authentically knows me and knows how broken I am. She's going to reject me and see me as the ugly thing that I am. And the only lot. The thing is, is, like, it's a perfectly logical reaction if you those facts are true. You know, right. you're just yeah. saving yourself from from future pain. It's like, oh, well, this is fun, but now it's going to get to where I could get hurt. So put push the eject button. Um, yeah, but it's not the, true. No, it's, it's obviously not true. Uh, she knows it. He knows it. Everybody involved, the audience knows it. And I think that's why it works so well. And so it's so affecting is because this man is making a decision that that feels right to him that is clearly wrong. Um and you you understand why he would make those decisions like I, I think about a kid in an orphanage. Like I said earlier, he can't show weakness or he's going to get cigarettes put out on him. He's going to get bullied and beaten and abused like he was. And so he develops this distance uh, between people as an emotional defense mechanism. And now he's just stuck with that. He, he doesn't know how to get out of it. And the movie is like a systematic deconstruction of that by his therapist, Sean. Uh, and, and I think that's like where the movie is best is like how it's breaking down each and every element of, of that defense mechanism and disarming it. I, I, I yeah, it's, it's, it's actually, I think really good. I just, you know, the, the movie has like a, 
sort of Pollyanna thing at the end where it's just like, well, he's going to be okay now. And that's like, eh, okay. Well, he's, he's probably got quite a few more years ahead of him of like struggling with the thing that he now recognizes uh, before he's fully healed. But yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, like the, 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 it's not a sure thing that him and Mini Driver are going to be okay. Totally. You know, because um, he's got like, and you know, the other thing is like, they don't really examine this, but like, you know, probably Minnie Driver has some kind of level of trauma. She lost her father at an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, she's like, I think in part, like so driven uh, to push herself to justify that in, you know, in investment she had and like to to like, yeah, I mean, like I said, this is all kind of unspoken, but like you could I could see that going out in California and just flying apart. Um, yeah, yeah, like that, when that, she's studying so sometimes. hard, right? Mm-hmm. Does, does that feel like, oh, I can't waste the thing, the the remnants of my father here? And she kind of, I think there's an even thing where she addresses that, like, you know, uh, uh-huh. if I, you know, you think I'm privileged to be here, and I guess I am, but like, mm-hmm. I would give all this money back right now, and I would give all the schooling and all this advanced education to have my father back in my life for these past five, six, seven, however many years it was. Um, and to me, the unspoken thought is that like, and since I can't do that, I have to make this worth it. I have right, to, right. I, I have to, you know, live up to the, the high price. This was bought very dearly. I have to make sure that, that I make the most of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's getting, she's also, dad died young. I don't think they didn't say it was like for a drunk driver or something. I assumed it was some kind of disease. I think it's telling she's getting to a medical field. Like, yeah, they couldn't save my daddy. But by God, I'm going to save some daughters. So there's like a ton of things. I don't know how smart the script actually is about that. But like, yeah, there's there's a lot to wear. But you can also sometimes people when they get in those situations, it's not not super common. But sometimes people can have like those complementary traumas where you can actually heal together. That's a beautiful thing, too. So I don't know. But like, yeah, it's it's you, 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 you said it best when you said the movie taps out right when the hard work would begin. Right, right. Yeah. He, he recognizes the problem. Now he's got to fix it. Uh, you have your first breakthrough in therapy and then you're yeah. done. No, 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 <laughs> right, no, right, no. Right. That's usually when you are at your most in pain and it hurts the worst and you are at the most loss. Hmm. And but then then you can, you know, uh, you, you can unlearn all your defense mechanisms and all your maladaptive mm-hmm. coping strategies and 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 genuinely start start a, some sort of healing process. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. What did you want? Did you want when he's driving off to California? Did you want like Mordor style storm clouds to kind of let you know that like (laughs) like Sam and Frodo are going? It's like, oh, this is the end of fellowship, you know? No, I I want Goodwill Hunting 2 and Hunt uh, Harder. Yeah. And I want to go back 10 years and have Robin Williams do it again. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Goodwill Hunting 2. Bad Will Gathering. Sure. <laughs> I, I I wanted to ask you something uh-huh. that I truly don't understand in this movie. Um, and, and it has to do with like Mini Driver's uh, medical quest. So she's studying like organic chemistry or whatever, and mm-hmm. she is trying desperately to understand it and grasp it. And it comes so easy to Will. He's just like, I can give you the answer. We can go on a date. Right. Uh, and she's like, No, I have to actually understand this stuff. I don't have your gift. What the fuck? is Will's gift. Because Will says, like, I don't play piano. He compares himself to, like, Beethoven. He says, I don't play yeah. piano like Beethoven did, but I understand something intuitively like he did. What is that thing? Because it's not just math. 
Organic Dude, chemistry that's... is not just math. Is he? I mean, he's the ultimate Gary Sue. That's that's the the Gary Stu aspect is is kicks in right there because like they should have if, if they wanted to be a little bit more grounded character they should have had it been a very narrow like math yeah and maybe economic and applied math you know mechan uh, you sure. know economics but like the fact that he was an expert in history and was yeah. engaging in like pre Marxian sixteenth uh, century analysis of the colonial like what the fuck like that he yeah clearly I, I thought, has like the ability to absorb and recall information on like on tap just instantly because you see yeah. him reading in the very first shots of the movie and he's flipping page page right. page right. page so he does have a photographic memory and he even cites the exact page of some obscure pre-colonial yes. capitalism thing like page 98 and i'm like but but you're you're right if he's he's like a he's like a genius polymath but they try to pass it as like he's almost a savant. And right. I I wonder if that's because like. But did a you savant read any about the is the problem. Did you read any of about the development of the script? Uh, a, a tiny bit. From what I gather, this was essentially written as like a, the born identity that Matt Damon was a yeah. super intelligent kid uh, that was on the run from the military. And it was this thriller. And was he on the run from the, I thought the the military like the government was trying to recruit him well okay not not really on the run but he was yeah tomato hounded by them (laughs) if the government wants you yeah Yeah. um and i wonder how much of this stuff is like earlier remnants of that draft Mm -hmm. um because because yeah like something like it's like like that he was almost some kind of like uh, science fiction type genius and then they kind of wanted to pair that back but they didn't go through and clean up necessarily everything I don't know because I that, that, that kind of sticks in my is is probably a remnant. Yeah, that sticks. I, I the Matt Damon said the only scene that survives intact is the first time he meets Robin Williams. Like that is that exactly how it went, and the, that's the only thing that from his rough draft survived, compre- pretty much unwritten, uh, unrewritten, unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know because yeah, you're right that a, a lot of that stuff felt out of place. Um. But I don't know, like the NSA stuff, it's like, okay, you could be a stockbroker with this knowledge. You could be a cryptographer with that knowledge. You could. Yeah. But I, it, the fact that he is almost like a superpower and very undefined. Um, yeah. Kind of sticks in my craw, too. Yeah. Bugged me a little bit. I want to talk about the love story between Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Um, because this is a truly selfless love that like this is my I'm I'm telling my best friend that he should abandon me because I want him a better shot. you uh, have a better shot at life. Mm-hmm. And I watched this movie and I was looking at like every time Matt Damon is kind of fucking around like there's a certain cast that Matt, uh, Ben Affleck's face takes on. And it's just kind of like wincing, kind of disapproval, kind of like, I'm not sure about that. And it's like very subtle and it grows throughout the movie. And it it, it comes to its climax in that scene where they're, you know, drinking beers after work. And there's this great speech he gives where it's like, uh, the best part of my day is when I pull up to your shithole house and I honk the horn and I hope for those brief seconds until you do that you're not going to be there. That you are mm-hmm. you are going to have fucked off and gotten away from this and you're going to escape. Um, and when he actually pulls up at the end of the movie and goes through that, I think that's actually a really, really strong performance. It is. Yeah. 
Because I mean, because like, go ahead. I'm, I don't want you to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You you weren't cutting me off. I, I was going to say I I actually think Ben Affleck is not a bad actor. He just kind of he's got a thing about him that makes him kind of punchable. Um, he plays well, a lot of assholes, that kind of thing. The thing is, is like um, <laughs> this. You, you, you hear about Nick Cage, like really lobbying to be Superman and you see him in pictures of the suit and stuff. And it's like, why the fuck did you ever think you could pull this off? For some uh-huh. reason, people let Ben Affleck do that shit. Oh, yeah. you want to be Daredevil? Yeah, be Daredevil, Ben. You want to be Batman? Yeah, be Batman. But you want to you want to do this self-indulgent relationship picture with your girlfriend, J-Lo? Yeah, fucking do that. Yeah, fucking fucking write her as a lesbian that you're going to you're going to you're going to win her over to your side. Like no one ever tells Ben oh Affleck, God. nah, nah. No one sits, sees the screen test for him in, in, in the Daredevil suits like nah. So he just like <laughs> his career a lot more than than Matt Damon has been stepping on just one rake after another. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, like I said, he does, he does good work both in, on both sides of the camera, but I, I just want to, yeah, that scene where I was just watching him and he goes like, cause like, this is his dream, right? But like when he's confronted with the reality, it's kind of devastating. It's like, like, oh my God, Will left. Oh my God, this is my best friend. He's gone. I might never see him again. Mm-hmm. And, but then there's also the underlying, but I love my friend and I'm so happy for him that he's escaped this yeah. fucking situation. Assuming and he's not like dead in a gutter or something. It's true. Right? Like th- there's that possibility too that he doesn't consider. But yeah, the NSA catches up to him and puts him in a laboratory. But uh, uh-huh. no, I, I I thought that was a, a really really nice piece of uh, piece of work by Ben and throughout and throughout the film. Yeah. I, now, I don't know in, why if he's leaving, he can't have like a conversation that said, hey, yeah, I thought about what you said. I got to get out of here. It's been great. You know, it, it, I'll come back for you. I'll come back sometime and see you. Why, why they have to have it to where he just leaves without saying a goodbye. Just it like is a fantasy. Speech. It is. A I know. Fantasy. I know. But come about on. That. If he does the thing is if know. he goes out there, he makes it big. I think he should come back for all of his homies and and, and bring them up with him. But uh Sure. Or I don't know about Casey Affleck. He seems like a crate. He seems like, yeah, like, like if you got it, you know, I, I grew up in uh, a poor rural town in Indiana and, and I had some colorful friends. Uh, I've had some <laughs> friends with impulse control issues. And uh, if I got rich, there'd be like, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we're working out together. Right. Um, sure. Every fourth friend or so is too. <laughs> they're, they're, just, they're not going to be able to fit on the life raft. They're just they're it's, it's their 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 own fucking damage is going to either bring you down with them or bring themselves down. And I feel like that's Casey Affleck in this movie. This guy is oh, a yeah. nut. Oh, yeah. my God. Who <laughs> jerks off in, in your friend's parents bedroom just because they've got the only VCR that, you know, ah, Casey. Yeah. Ben Affleck's kind of a nut in this movie too. He instigates one of the the more serious fights in this movie. Which one? And he forces Morgan uh, Casey Affleck to go fight. It's the one where they I see the guy who be- used to beat up uh, Matt Damon. I thought that was Matt Damon instigating that fight, saying that he wanted to do it, and Ben was just going along with it. You might be right. But he forces Morgan to get out of the car. He's like, if you don't get yeah. out of the car and yeah, yeah, go yeah, yeah. beat their asses, I, you're, I'm coming for you next. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's the great and terrible thing about the Friends of the Poor Impulse Control is like what Robin Williams says is like any one of these guys would, you know, beat you to death with the bat on his say so. But like, and that sounds awesome. Like you got your own personal army. But they're going to get you into 10 times as many scrapes as they get you yeah. out of. So at the end of the day, it's like a fault. It's uh, tends to be a false economy unless mm-hmm. everybody uh, grows up. But yeah, I, I thought that was great. And it's like I did. The love story kind of culminates in his friends build him essentially an escape pod. And I think at some level they know, right? That, like this so. is what he. Like, I, that's what I got out of this. This watch of the movie is it's not like at least the two smarter friends mm-hmm. kind of knew they were provide. This is going to be his rowboat that he gets in and, and paddles out of this, this, this rough water. And I, I, I thought that they definitely there's that awareness. Oh, yeah. And the thing that kills me is. I, I think his name's Morgan. Casey Affleck's character is so oblivious to this stuff. And the actual like relationship mechanics here that when he realizes Matt Damon isn't coming, he jumps out of the car, sprints to the passenger side <laughs> and says shotgun. And of jumps course. He, he doesn't literally say shotgun, but it, that's his first impulse is not to think. And, and you look at the guy in the back who's going, who's like processing what this means, right? Alongside Ben Affleck. And, and he doesn't make a motion to like, say you fucking idiot like our friend just left we're never gonna see him again how callous of you uh he's just back there thinking about the times they had thinking about what it meant to him he he's like actually feeling the effect of this first case he's just jumping in the front seat yeah what we talked about a lot lot about robin williams being not robin williams in this film i want to talk about a little bit of his physicality because he you know, the, the the thing that makes this movie work is that him and Will have this, you know, they came from the same rough neighborhood. Uh, they're both beaten, you know, by father figures and they have a lot of the same scars. But like Robin Williams portrayed is like physically tough. Like he mentions mm-hmm. that he can bench. I guess what I'm asking, he almost <laughs> strangles Will. Do you think Robin uh-huh. Williams can bench 285? I mean, he's Popeye. So, yeah. I was looking at even in these sweaters and his corduroy, he's built like a fucking chimpanzee. I think Robin Williams could throw up 285 in this movie, and it's kind of terrifying. I I think Goodwill believes that he can throw throw up through 285. Everybody looks surface deep on Robin Williams and comments on the hair, the hairy arms, but you got to go deeper to really understand Robin Williams. Yeah, it's all about his musculature. Yeah, like if you if you yeah, yeah, like he's he looks at the kind of guy that Joe Rogan would be like, Jamie, Jamie, call, call up some video of this guy. Look at this animal, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I no, I, he does. He does seem like he is well built in this movie. I don't know so how old he is. He's got to be. That's a good 50, question. Is 50s, going on 50s? 50s? No, oh, oh, man, that's a, that's a damn good question. I don't know. Um. The thing is, is like, so I think he sells the blue collar rough aspect of everything. There's a there's Mm -hmm. one scene that like really lands flat. And I don't know if it's because it's kind of like, you know, transphobic. And that's 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 gauche. But like, you know, it's kind of like uh, when Clint Eastwood is like busting his Polish friends balls in the barbershop in Gran Torino. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, it's like, oh, it's uh, this old man who fought in the Korean War. Turns out he's he's super old and racist and like. Uh, Clint Eastwood nails that because uh, Clint Eastwood probably certainly super old, almost certainly <laughs> racist. Uh, so he pulls uh, that off. 
Robin Williams doesn't really pull that like joking, uh, you know, like busting someone's bus. But he, he it, it feels forced in a way that I don't think that man from the South, he'd went through the Vietnam War and all that, like would do hmm. that. Um, and I kind of wish they'd left that line out or gave him something else to do because but but maybe I. I in fact, it struck me so much. I rewound and watched a couple times like, does this not work because this material sucks and it's offensive? Does it not work because Robin Williams just doesn't have this gear to him or does it not work because he is that guy, but he's just going through the motions? Hmm. Like his heart's not in the Southie bullshit anymore because it's broken. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I see is like him trying on who he used to be in that moment. Like, yeah. and, and not seriously, but like maybe it's just him trying to identify better with his patient to like because he's trying out his jokes too right he that scene begins with him telling the joke that matt damon told him in his office to the bartender Mm, i think mm -hmm. before stellan skarsgård shows up i think that's the scene that i'm that i'm thinking of yeah so yeah yeah to me it's like a little bit of will maybe sparking this older person that he used to be within him again and i hope that's not what he plans to do at the end of the movie like he's gonna go like Will has inspired him to become a Southie again, and he's gonna like, travel the country telling blowjob jokes and dribbling beer. Oh, that you're gonna go to and like go, go to bars and beat up kids in ponytails and right, right with his monkey and, man strength. <laughs> yeah, I hope that's not what he plans to do. Like, it hasn't rekindled that in him. Yeah, no, no. I think it's more of like uh, he's ready to again. His life is never going to be the same. He's never mm-hmm. going to be the same after he loses his wife. That piece is always going to be missing. But like he still has life to live. He still has things he can give back to people. Um, yeah. He's yeah, tight. He's, he's, he's no longer going to push people, the people that care him away, uh, care about him away. Yeah. Um, I thought some of the insights they had on relationships. That's the things that serve like that stuff that like. Is the realest shit like um, I think I don't know. I, I I go back and forth about how I think this film portrays therapy. Um, it's wild because like Robin Williams is a dead ringer for my best, like the best therapist I ever had, hmm. like down to the dress, okay. down to the beard, down to the hair, down to even like the, the way they, they, they speak. It's it's insane. But like I, I think this is a highly dramatized process. Um, but uh, God, where is I going with that? Um, I like I say overall, it's like I'm not sure like uh, if this is pro. I guess it's pro mental health, but like it's a very oh, yeah. mis. I think it's a very misleading. You know, not just from the Pollyanna ending, but like it is. It is a lot of. It's very just so in that too. You know, yeah. you gain the trust. You have the breakthrough. You have the 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 acting out moments. You got you know it's uh, and the movie starts out like so much fun. Right. You've got mm-hmm. Will solving these advanced math problems as a janitor. Like, how can he do this? And he's Some power fantasies. Yeah. Right. He's getting one up on the Harvard kids at the bar. Um, And you're really on his side for the vast majority of the beginning of this movie. And for me, the place that it turns is that scene with the robot painting. Um, Because mm-hmm. they've just established in the scene before the Robin Williams wife died. Uh, yep. And and so Will comes in here and starts talking mess about something he has no knowledge of. And he turns 
in that scene from the from the protagonist to the antagonist in my mind. And now Robin Williams is kind of the antagonist. Yeah, there's a lot of deep stuff in that, too, because like, you know, did Robin Williams withdraw from the grief counseling with the soldiers because he's withdrawing, which probably did. Or is it just like that he found it impossible to deal with guys, you know, like what, you know, like he can't inter- interface with this pain because he's in so much pain himself, because like, yeah, I think that's that could be. one thing that like um, started his whole process. The idea that Will was able to get to him to the point that he's like yeah, going to physically yeah. assault this kid who's already been beaten, abused and all that other kind of stuff. Like, I think that disturbed Robin Williams is like, oh, my God, how fucking weak have I become that I let, you know, this kid that doesn't know shit about shit. Uh you know, and what I like, like about that. that is is his reaction to it is not to get defensive. It's to examine it, right? To hold it up, to look at it and say, yeah, this is a part of me. Why do I feel this way? Um, why, why did this kid make me feel this way? Saying these things. Uh, whereas, you know, Will is going to do the exact opposite. Um, it, it just shows like the... the yeah more advanced the, the maturity that the movie is pointing out right like you haven't lived these things i have yeah. and you haven't considered or dealt with these things and i have and so i i have a better approach to it yeah we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause and now back with more bald move i want to talk about mini driver I found her, her character extremely like I remember back in the day like oh my god um, relentlessly is like, cute is how I would this describe is like her my in this like movie. a dream girl sure but as I was watching I was like it you know like you got the stereotypical like manic manic pixie dream girl like it's like you know, she exists only to be the fulfillment of a male fantasy does is Minnie Driver's character a little bit like that because like I was looking for that I'm like you know this feels like a real woman to me uh, the the only way in which I think it is a bit like that is that she is a multi-millionaire like like will has no money if he were to quit his job and move to california with some college girl she could completely support him and right their their lives are totally fine from a financial perspective yeah. like a, a, a college orphan girl right like by all rights yeah. she shouldn't really have all this money in, right. in this stage of her life but she does and so she's like this fantasy yeah but in other ways, um, but, yes, I think you're right. It's it's much better. But I think it's also that's oh, even even that is an impediment to her relationship with Will because that just heightens his inferiority. True. Like True. I think he would prefer her be penniless and driven, you know, rather yeah. than she's loaded and driven. Mm-hmm. But like also like the thing is is like she also doesn't really cater, you know, like when Will has these gross inappropriate reactions she i think reacts realistically with like you know like she's sad but she's not gonna like chase this guy she's Mm -hmm. not going to like you know bait or like like put she's not gonna put up with it either um so it's like yeah there's a little bit of that like like pushback i i don't know i man i uh again take this for what it is as a as a as a middle-aged man but i thought i she came across as a very well-written character um Mm -hmm. Just, just it, like if, if anything, like she's extremely attractive in like almost every aspect a person can be attractive in. Uh, yeah, and even she likes I mean, to have fun. She's silly, you know. Yeah, that's, that's something yeah. I find but attractive. she's but she's also not frivolous because she's you know she takes her you know her school schooling series all that kind of stuff. Did I'm that, sorry? Did I miss out that, on a joke? No, no, no. You didn't. I, I was just thinking about that scene where she puts the glasses on the the like yeah. oh, goofy God. eyeglasses. I, and it, how that can you not love her? Me up every time. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's just like doing all this prop, just just like prop comedy. Mm-hmm. Ah, so good. Um, they destroy that poor woman's store. Like they're rummaging through <laughs> yeah. all the crap. It, it, Matt Damon caramels throws a around. Of caramels on the ground. That lady has to pick up all that stuff. That's such a great line too, where she suggests we get coffee. Says, "Oh, we can just eat a bunch of caramels." You know, that's as random as, gra- as drinking coffee. Like that's a good fucking point. You know. <laughs> I guess uh, culturally it's not though. Come on, I know dude. it's it's a public area where you're not going to murder the woman where you meet her for the first time, Matt. Okay, eating caramels is maybe not going to accomplish and, and that. Americans goal. don't get up and have two cups of caramel in the morning. <laughs> they get up and they have coffee. It's a culturally caramel. relevant meeting point. Come on. Uh, what? Uh, I so. I was looking for things as I was watching because, like, you know, uh, a lot of times people, if they criticize our coverage, they're like, oh, you guys talk about the characters and themes and the big picture too much. I I wish you guys talked more about the cinematography and the sound and that kind of stuff like that. So I've been trying to, especially with the prestige stuff, look for that stuff more. I don't know whether it's because I went on my own little personal Quentin Tarantino film fest. Uh, Mm. The last five nights I've watched Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction last night. (laughs) <laughs> but like this movie seems very buttoned down and pedestrian, like in terms of its sound, in terms of its music, in terms of its, it's a meat and potatoes film uh, after the Willy sure. Wonka that I've been watching. So I don't know, like their one grace note uh, that I thought was really excellent, actually, was that transition they make from the NSA interview to Robin Williams office. Um, That was pretty fucking slick. It, it nearly oh, avoided where the they just cut to the same angle of Matt Damon. And he's sitting in a different chair and, and you, you and imagine you he's just reciting what he says. And like, yeah, it, yeah. it gets the, it's, it, 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 it's, um, normally you would see him give that to the NSA guys. they see their flustered reaction. Uh-huh. And then he'd be talking. So anyway, that's what I told him, Robin. I like this because you're waiting for the reaction shot of the three shocked businessmen that are getting their at, you know, they're the NSA agents getting their asses hand to it. And it's Robin Williams. And you didn't even realize that they switched offices because they keep on pushing mm-hmm. in and pushing in and pushing on a Matt's face. And then at one point they start retracting, retracting. I thought that was very effective. And I haven't seen that before you know you've seen that a million times i've never seen it like inverted memento style mm, i like it uh how, how do you feel about the ben affleck i guess showcase scene which is him dressed up in an ill-fitting <laughs> oh, suit God. sports socks boat shoes and grease down hair i think i saw uh, jordan peterson looking like this last week crazy <laughs> enough jesus Okay. Did you see that outfit that he was strutting, no, strutting around I, in? Um, I didn't, but wow. Dude, that was like, it's so ballsy, too. You've gotten this meeting with this Merrill Lynch, you know, big ball, ball spot stockbrokers, and you send Ben Affleck to pretend that you're yourself. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's accidentally got you a $90,000 a year job that he's going to walk out on, and they put $200 of drinking money in his pocket <laughs> as a favor. It's just... It's and such a fucking like, ridiculous scene, but it's hilarious. I love it. If if I'm one of these executives or whoever he's meeting with, uh, what am I thinking <laughs> yeah. in that moment? Because his reputation precedes him, right? He's been you've been told by a Vouched well-respected for, colleague this man is brilliant. Yeah, by and, like not not just a respected colleague, by essentially a super Nobel laureate. Right. Right. Has right. told you that this is an incredibly intelligent man. You're you've got to be thinking what trap is he setting here? He's acting like a fucking idiot. He's talking a bunch of nonsense. What am I walking into? 
Yeah, are we the retainer. assholes? Are we? Are we like? <laughs> right. uh, did, did we do something? Yeah, like, and and all three of those guys are like totally like. <laughs> I don't want this to be happening. Well, how can we make this stuff? It's it's really funny. And I think, yeah, Ben Affleck walks out of that meeting with $73 in his pocket. And a check. And that's it. That's it. These guys just got swindled out of 73 bucks. They'll never see yeah. them again. Which that's the hilarious thing is like it's such a small minded crime, too, because he could have right. gotten the, away with. Oh, my God. When he when he's saying retainer and then he asked yeah. for two hundred two hundred dollars, dude, you got to ask for 40, 50 grand, easy, easy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, then you get brought up on charges instead of just taking the money in their wallet. They're like, "No, nah, we're suing your ass." It's so funny when you said this is the Ben Affleck stand the showcase scene because I'm like, I thought we just talked about the, <laughs> the best part of my day, and then you hit me with the uh-huh. retainer. <laughs> um. Have we have we talked about this, this pre-show How, on a scale of one to full on offensive culpa- cultural appropriation? What is it when two rich upper class kids that are Harvard educated and who are going to get their first script greenlit for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars? What is it when they affect this really working class background accent? Probably people that they've mocked and looked down on their whole lives. Is that I mean, it's acting, right? It's not it's it's not the like I said, it's it's not it's 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 not full on minstrelly. I don't want to. But, but is it's something right. It's blue collar appropriation. And then get, get paid six hundred grand each for the the roles. Yeah, for yeah acting, to, to, the roles, to make yeah. your to make they made your over million dollars each on this to make your millions doing that. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know because I mean it, you're right. If they were in blackface, it'd be very easy to like go. Well, this is completely wrong. Sure, but I I don't know. What, what I mean, is like the I said, there's levels, from... there's levels to the oppression game and there is a level that's played sure. that maybe not everyone sees between poor whites and rich whites, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, people that have education, people that don't have education, people that have classy cultural indicators and people that do, you know, that are, they're born with rough working class backgrounds. It, it's it was some because like I, the, the other thing, the thing, OK, I didn't I didn't come to expect I didn't come here today expecting talking to this because I thought the legend was. I think this was an intentionally put out that Ben and Matt were from this kind of like more working class background that like they're just like that this goodwill hunting thing is like these these just rags to riches story. Mm-hmm. And like so many of these others, I hear it. It turns out to be bullshit. I mean, I said I'm not saying it's offensive. It's just like, hmm, makes me go. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Matt Damon was going he was attending Harvard when he started writing this script as a play. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Dad's hard. a stockbroker. Mom was a professor at Harvard. But I bet mm-hmm. that helped with admissions, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I'm sure they know people in the industry. Yeah, it's and Ben Affleck. It's like they talked about his dad being an alcoholic, and again, like that's that's rough. But like he went from what was it? Uh, he went from Berkeley, and then his parents moved to Cape Cod. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like I I think it's. Uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to kind of raise my eyebrows because, again, I think at the time and this maybe this is a Harvey Weinstein bullshit. Like, you know, that's the other thing is like, oh, my God. Uh, the other thing about the Tarantino is like, I see the wine, the the Weinstein production. And it's like every time it it's, it's like snaps, he's like, oh, my fucking God, that's such a disgraced brand at this point. Right. But. um, Yeah, I wonder. I, I uh, it, it, That's. 
I don't know. I, I wonder if that was an angle that he pushed into publicity because it seems to be entirely fabricated. But I also this is almost 30 years ago, so I don't know how much of that is me making the inference mm-hmm. that, you know, oh, these are some poor kids that made good versus the reality or if they actually kind of leaned into that. I feel like it's the latter, in which case that's where it's like that kind of sucks, guys. Yeah. Stolen so valor. I, I have a lot of like. Stuff like that in my life where I've watched a piece of media and it gets confused with reality in some ways. And so I went to look up the etymology of how about them apples? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is deeply offensive to the Boston Irish people. (laughs) Right. So and they would know that if they. Yeah, I I, know. I feel like that's a phrase that is like. Inherently mixed up with with real life and movies, because. I couldn't find a straight answer on where it came from because it's such a nonsensical thing, right? It doesn't it doesn't actually make any sense if you think about it, yeah. which which is true of so many idioms. But a lot of idioms have roots in real world things. Sure. The closest I've found for how about them apples is in World War One. There was a type of mortar that kind of looked like an apple, and mm-hmm. they called them uh, shit apple jacks. No, no, they call them like uh, apple dandies or, or candy uh, toffee apples, toffee apples, oh, okay. um, fucking Brits. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, and so like they would put them, they would load them into the, the artillery or whatever, fire them off and say, how about them apples? And that made it into a movie. Oh, well, I don't know that that made it into the movie, but there was also a movie uh, Rio Grande where they did that mm. in the film. And now I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, do people know the etymology of this because they know it or because they saw this movie and got it confused with the reality of the thing? Plus, there's also these false, you know, etymologies where it's like it's it's people kind of essentially reasoning on what they might think it is. And it's like, yeah, no relation at all. Right. And and yeah. then I wonder how many people only know how about them apples from this movie. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know how I like those me. apples to him. What is it about uh, the British and and fruit based obscure mm-hmm. slang? Because like one of my favorite British uh, isms is something has gone pear shaped. Mm-hmm. And I've seen all kinds of entomologies ranging from like that's the shape of a collapsed parachute when you're parachuting over enemy lines and it means it's a bad situation to like all kinds hmm. of stuff. But like there's been no definitive, but it's like but pear shaped. It's, it's so, so satisfying. But every time I say it, I have no fucking idea what it means. Just it's gone pear shaped. Situation's got it's fucked. It's yeah. foobar. It's pear shaped. No, I. How do you I, like dim apples? It's gone pear shaped. I like dim apples. I don't like them pears shapes. Uh, <laughs> what else do we want to? There's got to do other random. Th- I'm I'm to the like random observation stage of my notes. I don't know okay. where you're at. So if you got anything yeah, substantive, speak now. Nope. Uh, chalkboard magic. My jaw dropped. I love those flippable, movable, slideable, uh, full classroom <laughs> chalkboards that Stellan Skarsgård's operating. Those fucking All things right. are rad. I've always, yeah, like instead of getting a ladder and writing up there, just like drag that bitch down. Then when you're done, throw it back up for the people in the base. Yeah, it was cool. I didn't even know they made those things. Awesome. Well, they probably don't anymore. How, how do you feel about like digital chalkboards, whiteboards? I think they're the wave of the future. Wave of the future. I mean, they are. They're being, they're installed at yeah, all these high level colleges. 
Yeah, I remember like my jaw dropping the first time I saw one of those in my son's like uh, they got a new school when he was like in fourth grade. Oh, and, like wow. all the classrooms yeah. had those digital active uh, chalkboards. And it's like, fuck, yeah, this is beats yeah. the hell out of beating the erasers at the end of the day. And remember, did you ever have to do that detail, that uh-huh. duty where you had to wipe down the chalkboards? And yeah, and you oh, take God, it's like, outside and get chalk all over your face. Yeah, no, thank I you. can feel the feel of my fingernails touching chalk. To this day, uh huh, it's a, it's it's like being in the dentist chair. Uh, but I, if you have to have even, a chalkboard, make one of these magic ones. When when you have to shake out the the digital erasers, those oh things God. like yeah. you never get the digital bits off your face. Yeah, or your yeah, hands. You, you have to, just you have to reboot it. Oh my God. Yeah. Um. Also, I thought that Jack and Nimish must feel really good. Because like when St- uh, Skarsgård comes outside his theater or his class and he sees the first equation done and like there's this ring of students kind of like looking around and he's like, Jack, Nimish. And they're like, oh, not us. But that must mean that he thinks they're the two smartest <laughs> yeah. guys in the class, right? Uh-huh. Or, That's like or unofficial, they're just the guys that were standing near the chalkboard. <laughs> That's the unofficial top G's in that department. And you might not. Skarsgård seems like the type of guy to never let you know that unless you are an attractive woman, which. Wow, yeah, that yeah, is a really in this movie that's like couple oh, dude. couple yeah. where it makes it seem like this rock star mathematician is just cutting a swath through his underclass mm-hmm. women and like oof that that yeah. aged a bit poorly because like, opportunities that Indiana Jones turns down this man accepts. Yes, and the hell of it is is like I I remembered him as being kind of a villainous character and he is a bit of an antagonist, but like, I don't think the film takes like this guy is a sleazeball, but he is a sleazeball. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the film, you're like, Oh, this guy's nice. And I'm glad to see Robin Williams. But like, this guy's going to get brought up on charges in 15 years, point blank period. I don't care how fucking tenured. I don't care how many <laughs> super Nobel <laughs> yeah. math prizes he's got. That shit ain't going to fly in 2010, buddy. He, he enjoys success in all its forms. And sometimes that form is women. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, he seems like a very charming, attractive, uh, urbane guy. I think he could go out and get women on his own horsepower. I don't think you need to mm-hmm. hit on your 23-year-old co-eds. But uh, yep. that's all I got, man. Jack and Nimish, they're the top They're top guns in that department. They're maverick and goose. The math problems in this are so advanced to me that I don't even recognize them as math. Like he's just drawing squiggles on the board. That second one is as an uncharted puzzle. Nah, yeah. it's not math. It's an uncharted puzzle. It's how many palm for you gotta you gotta match the palm fronds on the back of the silver coin that Nate uh <laughs> Nathan Nathan Drake's got. Yeah. Yep. That's not math. There's no fucking way. No fucking <laughs> way that's math. I heard that um uh, that's something I read. And I, don't quote me on this. If there's a real mathematician out there, I hear you guys are all rock stars and emotionally fragile. So <laughs> I don't want any smoke from this. But I've heard, according to Wikipedia, these are actually pretty mid-level pedestrian math equations. They are not like, which is sure. wild but because like movie going public. That yeah, my God. But you don't even have to have right math for the move. Like ninety nine percent of the people, uh-huh. if you got the like you know, one level beyond introductory calculus, it's going to be impenetrable. So you like, could draw a picture of Winnie the Pooh up there and I would not know it's not yes. math because the movie is telling me it's math. Yes. Oh, yes. This is the the Eeyore theorem. Uh, it's <laughs> right. un, uh, unproven until first but that's postulated the thing, like, by Tom and Jerry. Tom of... and Jerry are the name of the mathematicians in this. Did you recognize that? 
Did you hear? No, it? I did. Jerry oh is the, is Stellan Skarsgård name, and his assistant is Tom. Gotcha. That's hilarious. No, I wondered because like there's real life, uh, very hard to prove theorems and like unproven theorems. I don't know why they. I guess you can't do an unproven theorem because then how do you do this? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, that's the one thing yeah. where the mathematicians would take off their cashmere scarves and buck <laughs> up their emotional fragility, and be like how dare you say that. But like, yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, apparently it's just kind of run the mill math. Yep. Well, is this all we have to say about the goodwill hunting? I think so. I hope he finds what he's hunting for out in California. All right. So that'll do it for goodwill hunting. Next week, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. It's the 75th anniversary of the Humphrey Bogart classic Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Uh, it's widely regarded as one of the best movies of all time. It's got a hundred percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Hmm. Uh, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's a Jack Houston, uh, directed movie. Uh, I've actually never seen this before. It should be a treat. I'm really looking forward to see if a 75 year old movie can hold up as well as a goodwill hunting. Um, well, that's what we're going to be doing next week. Uh, I think we we that. Yeah, that's something we didn't consult with the Patreon executive producers on because it's an, an anniversary one to fit in. Uh, but if you do want to help us uh, choose our prestige films and uh, have a say in some of the direction bald moves moving, uh, join our, our squad of executive producers. You can find that at support.baldmove.com. Uh, you get tons of access to great benefits like ad free feeds, uh, premium audio content like our first run movie reviews, uh, our instant talks. Our instant and instant take sessions, live sessions. They're going to be doing those after uh, at least a few of the Last of Us episodes, um, uh, as well as uh, lunch with Jim and Aaron. All that at support.baldmove.com. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.